Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Today, we're supposed to gather and talk about the miraculous birth of the church in the flames of Pentecost. When the tongues of fire descended upon those gathered in the upper room, and the gospel was heard in the varied languages of the world. Pentecost is the miracle that follows on from the miracle that occurs in the aftermath of a wonder. Jesus, Israel's true king and Messiah, was crucified and raised from the dead. He then ascended into heaven so that in the words of St. Paul, God might fulfill his promise to put all things under the foot of our king. Paul also says that he made Christ the ruler or head over all things for the church. Christ rules over all things for our good. And in a world that is on fire, that is indeed good news. If the first Pentecost is the miracle that follows the miracle that occurs in the aftermath of a wonder, this Pentecost finds the American church in a much different place. As an African-American Christian, it feels like this Pentecost occurs in the aftermath of a woe following a trauma in the context of a tragedy. We gather virtually to talk about the flames of Pentecost, while Minneapolis and so many other cities burn. And those protests and riots in Minneapolis follow on upon the death of George Floyd, who was choked to death while handcuffed and pleading for his life. For nine minutes, an officer kept his knee on a man's neck while he pleaded for his mother. This occurs in the wakes of the deaths of Breonna Taylor and Ahmed Arbery, who were shot and killed after being hunted down by vigilantes. And all of this takes place within the wider context of a country in which 100,000 people have died from a deadly virus and the church is physically scattered. It feels more like we're in the middle of an extended Lent than at the end of Easter time. And some will hear me talk about George Floyd and Ahmed Arbery and assume that I'm bringing politics into the church and pushing some agenda. They'll wonder why I'm not upset about black-on-black crime or the black family or abortion or looting or whatever topic allows us to avoid looking at the thing itself. And listen, Christian, the thing itself is the 400-year history of racial trauma and oppression that stalks black life in this country. Some might wonder what the riots and a black man dying at the hands of the police have to do with Pentecost and the actual passage in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 21. But don't we understand, brothers and sisters, this is the question. Does the gospel, the death and resurrection of the Messiah for our sins, have anything to do with the flames in Minneapolis? Will we be discipled by the gospel or by Fox News on the one hand, or MSNBC on the other. A city and a country is burning. And what does the gospel mean in this context? 
there is no other world to talk about Jesus than a world in which black men have their necks stepped on for nine minutes. And the only way to answer that question is by looking at the words of scripture and seeing if they have anything to say for us in our day. And I want to make three points, just three. One, the gospel brings us together. Two, the, the spirit moves us towards people very different from ourselves. And three, our hope is in the kingdom. First, the gospel brings us together. Acts, one, Acts 2 opens with the followers of Jesus all gathered in one place. It is amazing to think that at one point in history, all the Christians in the world could fit into one room. Despite what the history books will tell you, Christianity is not some state-sponsored religion created by Constantine to keep a rowdy populace in check. It began humbly with a ragtag group of 120 mostly regular folks. Among them were women like Mary, who came from rural peasant stock, and people like Matthew, the former tax collector, who collaborated with the oppressors of Israel and robbed people to line his pockets. And what kind of church has room for both the oppressed and the former oppressors? What united them? What unites us as a church now? What united them before the spirit fells, fell was their shared convictions about Jesus. The very, the very people of that 120 shared a common belief in Jesus' death and resurrection. They were together because that is what the gospel does. It unites us around the lordship of Jesus. And what would, it, what would this unity, what would this unity look like now for the family of George Floyd? What would it mean to be together with them? What would it mean to be with the black community in the United States who have experienced, experienced kidnapping, the middle passage, Jim Crow, slavery, the litany of suffering that marks our lives here in this country? Would it not mean to say as an act of love, it should not be this way, and I'll spend my life beside yours as a testimony to the Christian tradition's value on black life? The spirit then falls upon all who are in the room. And the tongues of fire descend from the same source. There's not one Holy Spirit enabling women to declare the word of God and another Holy Spirit for men. There's not one Holy Spirit that gives word to the rich and another Holy Spirit that gives word to the poor. There's not one Holy Spirit that enables you to speak to African peoples and another Holy Spirit that enables you to speak to Asians and Europeans. No. The one spirit sent the one gospel to the varied peoples of the earth. And the same spirit is enabled to minister to all people because it reaches our common humanity. The Holy Spirit didn't have to do extra work to convince African peoples of the gospel because there's some flaw in us that makes us harder to reach. The singularity of the gospel's work through the spirit arising from our common status as image bearers testifies to our common humanity. We're all fallen and we're all in need of God's grace. In any ideology that functionally or verbally, hear me when I say functionally, 
I don't need the man stepping on my neck to call me a, a racial epithet for me to say that's a racial event. What I need is the facts of the thing. What I need is the evidence of the history of this country that steps on black people. And for me to see a black person stepped upon, you see that to be a manifestation of a national sickness. It's not me being precipitous. It's not me, me being alarmist. It is me looking at this country and looking at the events that are taking place and saying there is something broken about us. So any ideology that functionally or verbally denies our common status as image bearers is a heresy. And anyone who can't see that the heresy of racial prejudice infects this country and many Christians does so in the face of evidence so overwhelming that it makes it seem like the soldiers at the empty tomb are reliable witnesses to what occurred on Resurrection Sunday. The gospel drew the early Christians out from their own culture to do life with people very different from themselves. Yes, everyone at Pentecost was Jewish, but that Judaism had been enculturated into the very languages and communities of the Roman Empire. And the first thing the gospel did was to unite them under the Lordship of Christ. But again, what does any of this have to do with cities on fire so far from us? If the gospel sent us out from our own culture to a different culture to bring them back in to hear about the work of, of Jesus and the mighty works of God, we have to ask ourselves, has the gospel lost its power amongst us? Why aren't we together anymore? And what would it mean? For the watching world to see a Christianity that was actually together spiritually and practically. I can say this as an African-American Christian. We can deal with people who have no reason to support us. We can deal with secular racists. What is heartbreaking and exhausting is to find yourself fighting for the very right to exist as free people in this country. And find that the enemy on the other side is your brother. What's the passage in the Psalter? It is not my enemies who taught me. I could bear that. It is you, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend with whom I kept pleasant company, we walked in the household of God together. Let me say this. As long as African-American Christians are talking about salvation by grace and we're lauding the inspiration of the scriptures and we're telling people about how to be reconciled to God, we, are, we can walk to the throne together and, and, and worship Jesus' name. When that same black Christian says, the Bible that I read speaks about a God of justice and the world that I experience personally and corporately as a people is unjust and God is displeased with that and the world should be a different place. We're told that we have abandoned the gospel, that we've lost track of the message, that we've misunderstood what the scriptures have to say to us. We are abandoned by our own familiar friends. So the nations are drawn together and there are two responses. 
The first one is when the people begin to hear about the miracle of Pentecost, they say they are just drunk. The second response is to ask a deeper question, the question of meaning. What does this mean? One response is to acknowledge the facts of what's going on. There's a miracle happening. And to dismiss it as the work of God. The second question um, asks the question of deeper meaning. What's happening? And I'm going to get back to Pentecost. I haven't lost the plot. But let me say this. Let me say this. The world is on fire around us. And some look at black demands for justice and can only reach for a political explanation. They were just Democrats or liberals trying to ruin the church. They were really theological Marxists who are beholden to, to European ideas. But maybe, just maybe, those are ways of saying, like the people did at Pentecost, they're just drunk. It's a way of avoiding looking at the thing itself. And, and instead of asking this question, what are my black Latino and Asian brothers and sisters really saying about this country? And what would it mean for me to genuinely listen to them? And what if they're actually speaking to us the very words of God? And our opposition to it is an opposition to the work of the Spirit. Peter dismisses the first question with a sentence or two. We're not drunk. But he addresses the question of meaning more deeply. He tells them that what the people are experiencing is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel. And Joel says that when God acted to redeem his people, it will be universal. Men and women, young and old, rich and poor. The universal gift of the spirit that manifested itself in the shared public ministry of the whole church is itself a testimony to the universal saving power of the gospel. In other words, the form of Pentecost supports the theology of Pentecost. The gospel is for everyone. And I'm almost done. But I'm convinced that the hope for this country is not in any election or political party. Folks matter. But neither the Democratic Party nor the Republican Party is our savior. What we need is a spirit-filled Christianity big enough to draw the varied people together. And to do this, to preach this gospel, we have to keep two things in mind. The first is to recognize that the problem is not just out there. Right? The, the, the problem isn't simply that they're racist in the world. The problem is it's, it's in here that we all, in a variety of ways, live in rebellion against God and his will for us. And the gospel demands a decision from each one of us about our own sins. Will I repent and accept God's forgiveness? If there is a model for Jesus' ministry, it is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent personally for your sins. Why? 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 It's the second part is important. Because the kingdom is coming. And to describe fully this kingdom will take more time than I have. But we see this kingdom articulated in Jesus' first sermon in Nazareth, where he proclaimed good news to the poor and liberty to the captives. And it's the kingdom articulated in the Psalter that is rooted in justice and in righteousness. Yes, Jesus came to save sinners. But those saved sinners now bear witness in their lives to God's kingdom vision. And we know this kingdom is coming because Christ is risen. Peter says it this way. This Jesus whom you crucified, 
God is made both Lord and Christ. Who unfurls history according to his purposes? Who is the lion and the lamb at the same time? The one who fights for both God's justice and his mercy. It is Christ, our advocate, who loves us and who fights for us. So we do have a message for a city and a world that is on fire. The message is that there is a God who loved you individually, who died so that you might know him. And that this love is sufficient to gather the divided peoples of the world when all the politicians and philosophers fail. There is a God of justice who sees and acts on behalf of the beleaguered peoples of the earth. People like Breonna Taylor, Ahmed Arbery, and George Floyd. There is a king and a kingdom. He has given his spirit to make him known to the ends of the earth. So listen, Christian. Don't let anyone shrink down the whole of the Christian tradition. Don't let anyone pull out just a few texts that allows you to articulate a truncated good news. Preach the whole counsel of God through the whole people of God so that even if the world rejects our message, they will know that they have been prophets who are among them. 